Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, June 24th. I'm Michael Guidry, in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, concerns over the Delta variant of COVID-19 escalate within the medical community. Then a state audit finds more than $100 million in improper unemployment benefits. And an Oxford book merchant shares his summer reading list. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The State Department of Health warns that as Mississippi's vaccination rate remains low, the threat of a variant strain of COVID-19 increases. Speaking at a press conference yesterday, state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers said one variant in particular is cause for concern. We still are seeing some lags in in our younger folks with uptake of vaccine. In our 12 to 15-year-old age range, our 17 to 18-year-old age range, we are seeing cases. And now we are seeing cases of the Delta variant, which is the variant we've talked about that is increasing nationally. Uh, We're seeing more cases of the Delta variant throughout the United States. And now we are seeing increased cases in Mississippi. We're up to 29 cases that we've identified due to the Delta variant. By and large, these are in central Mississippi. We're seeing the lion's share in Hines County, in Madison. But the cases that we're seeing are in unvaccinated younger people that is resulting in secondary and tertiary transmission. And although these people, by and large, are going to recover, and have no long-term complications, they can serve as the source of transmission for those older folks or the more vulnerable population where there can be increased hospitalizations, there can be deaths. Low vaccination rates among young people raise questions about the upcoming school year. Dr. Byer says he's taking a wait-and-see approach on potential vaccine mandates for students. We're giving guidance to schools for for recommendations of vaccine. And just like we've talked about with the K-12 setting, this is going to be an important model moving forward for us to to get back to more normal operations in the school and, and, you know, reduce those interruptions that occur. The more folks that we get vaccinated, the less chance we have of 
of ongoing transmission and the less less risk we have of, of interruptions. And, and as far as are there sports and other activities that, that we've seen other uh, higher risk of transmission? Yeah, you know, we've, we've saw that throughout the year that, that often the extracurricular activities, the sports were, were our weakest point in the school. And that's typically where we saw uh, a higher level of transmission than we did when, when kids were sitting in a more controlled static environment in the class and staying spaced and wearing a mask. And, and a lot of times those, those measures break down more in a sports activity or an extracurricular activity, especially when folks are not wearing masks and especially when the kids are not vaccinated. The more kids and teachers that would get vaccinated, the less of a, a risk of transmission those sorts of events are going to be. Over the past few weeks, churches and community organizations have given away gift cards and held raffles to encourage vaccine uptake in Mississippi. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs applauded those efforts, but struck a less than optimistic tone in evaluating their efficacy. We're glad to see some of our partners stepping up and trying to do some incentives to get folks vaccinated. Certainly, it'll move the needle for some folks. How impactful it is overall, it's hard to say. We've, you know, it's not proven that overall it'll increase the numbers, but anecdotally, it seems like to some degree it, it, it is helpful. We uh, have been talking to other states and they have sort of like a mixed bag of, of, you know, sometimes it seems to help, but probably not as much as we would have hoped. As far as like, you know, we have severe restrictions on what we can do with our federal money. I mean, essentially we almost can't do incentives. And so that's kind of limited us going forward. But, you know, we encourage people to do it for their own folks. If you guys have pay attention, I'm using my own money to raffle off a, a Yeti cooler and an iPad for our employees just as a reward for stepping forward and, and being thoughtful about their fellow employees and their families. So it's something that's a good thing for people to do. And if you're in a business or a hospital or a nursing home, we encourage you to think about these incentives as an added thing to say thank you, to represent the our recognition of the good things that folks have done for themselves and for, for us collectively. And as far as, you know, some of the stuff has been done that the big things have been mostly sort of with state funds and state money. And I haven't seen any, um, any initiatives to, to use state money for that right now. So if initiatives won't move the needle, what will? Dr. Dobbs says there's a need to think long-term and think big. And, and, and as a little bit of deeper dive, we knew that it was going to be a, a difficult path for the South because we do have this embrace for a culture of illness you know, if, if we had a medication that had a thousand times higher side effects than the vaccine, we would take it when we're sick, but we won't take a very highly effective vaccine because we don't have a preventive mindset. It, it's, it's something that's really kind of a challenge for us, whether it comes to breast cancer prevention, cervical cancer, heart attacks, strokes, getting ahead of the curve has been a real challenge for us for a whole host of reasons. And you know, something that's a foundational problem. There's not a catchy jingle or a messaging that's going to shift that. We can we can hit some folks and save some lives, but it's going to be a, a structural change that's going to make a difference for us going forward if we really want to, you know, kind of get over this. Same social determinants of health, poverty, education. Um, I, I will say one thing, though, that, um, that unfortunately, um, politics has muddied the water on this. COVID's is, COVID is science. There's nothing political about breast cancer, heart attacks, and there's nothing that needs to be political about COVID. It's a virus that's killed over 600,000 Americans, and we have a tool to prevent it. That's just the, and we have a safe and effective vaccine. That's the bottom line. And as apolitical public health professionals, we're going to do all we can to get folks protected. Coming up, Mississippi lost millions in unemployment fraud 
during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. $117 million. That's how much Mississippi lost in erroneous unemployment payouts during the pandemic, according to State Auditor Shad White. Speaking with MPB's Rob Lane, White explains how, amid chaos and uncertainty, the money vanished. During the early months of the pandemic last year, unemployment payments skyrocketed, of course, because a lot of people were going on unemployment. There was a national recession happening. As a result of that and several other things, we also unfortunately saw a big spike in improper payments to folks who should not have been paid unemployment benefits. In fact, that number got up to $117 million, just above $117 million. The unemployment benefits themselves, they spiked to the tune of an increase of 3,000%, more than 3,000%. And really, when you look around the country, you're seeing that this trend happened in virtually every state. Every state saw a big spike in unemployment benefits, but unfortunately, every state saw a big spike in fraudulent or improper payments. People who were either fudging the nature of their employment and they got unemployment benefits, all the way to fraudsters and hackers who stole other people's personal information and applied for unemployment benefits on their behalf. We sent unemployment benefits payments to incarcerated individuals, just a wide variety of folks who were not eligible to receive them. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about those controls that you said were suspended or bypassed within the the Department of Employment Security. What does that mean? So typically there are these, these mechanisms in place to prevent improper payments from being made out of the unemployment compensation fund. And in the wake of the, or, or during the pandemic and during the recession caused by the pandemic, some of those mechanisms were just taken down. So, for example, the, the requirement that, that people be searching for work was changed. Uh, there, there are some mechanisms that could have been used to prevent money from going to improper individuals. So, for instance, there's, there's the incarceration cross-match, which can be used to make sure that incarcerated individuals don't get unemployment payments. Those kinds of things were just not used. Um, Some things were out of operation during the pandemic, and it's no fault of uh, any state agency, but they just weren't operating, and and so they could not be used as a way to check on the the proper nature of these employment payments, unemployment payments. An example of that is the system that's used to verify folks' Social Security numbers when they apply for unemployment benefits payments was down for a series of months at the beginning of the pandemic. So, again, that's something that's outside of the control of anybody in Mississippi, but the fact that it was down did lead to increased improper payments out of the unemployment benefits program. So, uh, you know, looking back at all this, what is the lesson? The lesson is that we need to have better fraud mechanisms in place we need to keep some of the fraud mechanisms regardless of the fact that, that there's, a, there's a need or a pressure to push money out the door uh, because we, we need to realize that there's a lot of taxpayer money and, and money that was paid into this fund by businesses that is now not benefiting Mississippi in any sort of way, especially the money that went out of state. That, that's just 
not acceptable, and, and we're going to have to do better next time. You've noted a couple times over the course of our conversation that the chaos of the pandemic precipitated this whole issue. And obviously, the unemployment system itself was changing pretty rapidly as a lot of new policy was being pushed through to address the pandemic. Do you think that there are lessons to be learned for policymakers, both in the federal and the state level, to better craft legislation that doesn't cause such significant disruption to individual agencies? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And I think it starts at the federal level. Looking back at the 2008 recession, I think one of the big lessons that policymakers and lawmakers should have learned from that recession is you cannot hand out a bunch of money to giant corporations in the wake of a recession and expect the public to not be a little bit angry about it. The lesson of this recession and the lesson of the COVID pandemic and, and how Congress handled the stimulus packages that they have handed down is, yes, you tried to get money out into Main Street and into individual people's hands rather than these giant corporations. But in doing so, you set up a world where a lot of that money was going to be stolen because there weren't sufficient safeguards in place to prevent it from being stolen. And I think, you know, when when audits come out in the future about the PPP program and, and other programs like that, you'll see that a lot of the money was just wasted or stolen. So, yes, the answer is policymakers and lawmakers need to be aware that this is a huge downside, that it erodes people's faith in government when they see their money being misspent or wasted or stolen. And, and technology gets better every year. So let's use that technology. Let's do the best we can to prevent fraud while still responding to a recession. Those are the kinds of thoughts that need to be going through people's minds when they're writing this legislation, not just how do we get the money out as quickly as possible. There's a competing tension here. The tension here is that the faster the money flows out, the more will be stolen. How do we balance those two things out? Jackie Turner is executive director of the Department of Employment Security. She says the auditor's findings are accurate, but she argues the benefit of streamlining the unemployment system amidst the pandemic outweighed the cost. Waiving the one-week waiting period allowed eligible recipients of unemployment to get those payments quicker. They did not have to serve the one-week ordinary waiting period. Waiving the work search requirement, well, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, the economy, the, the business that we were all quarantining and couldn't work. So waiving the work search requirement in the governor's eyes and most states around the country seemed an appropriate, it was an appropriate thing to do because there was literally hardly any work to apply for because businesses were shut down during those periods. We did reinstate the work search requirement in August of 2020, but those initiatives, which were actually state law and regulations, were waived or set aside for a time period so that the many Mississippians that depended on unemployment to tie them over during this horrific pandemic period, they depended on it and, it was, and we were able to get payments out to them quicker because of those I do recall several press conferences called by the governor where you were 
you were in a position where you had to answer why it was taking so long to answer phones, why people weren't getting their checks. And a lot of people were very irate because they couldn't get through, had been waiting for weeks and hadn't been able to even see if they qualified for unemployment. You're exactly right that, you know, we were in a position where in March of 2020, our world changed. And suddenly people are out of work that have never been out of work before. And it was a a public cry for help. And it was our job. It is our job. It was our job then to get that out as quickly as possible. And first of all, through all of we had to wait on guidance from Department of Labor. And then had we not waived or suspended some of those normal requirements during the unemployment period, it would have been many additional weeks before customers or claimants would have received unemployment. So the the auditor says that there needs to be some more accounting uh, systems, procedures in place so that this doesn't happen again, and that if there is ever another situation similar to this, that most of the waivers, if not all, should stay in place. Your thoughts on that? Um, I think each situation will be different. In our audit response, we said at the end that in the same circumstances, again, we would discuss and collaborate with the governor's office and most likely recommend that some or all of those procedures are waived or suspended. Looking at the risk involved, you always have to assess risk, and that's the auditor's job. And like I said, I appreciate and admire the work that they do, but Given the same situation again, I think the right decisions were made. So you disagree with the ultimate result? I won't say that I disagree with the auditor because uh, his job, they were auditing our financial statements, and their job was to assess risk. And there is risk involved in any time you receive federal or state money with when you are delivering services under those programs. There's a risk involved. And we, as MDS, will always evaluate that risk in consultation with our leaders here at the agency and and Governor Reeves, the leader of the state, and make the best decision based on the circumstances. In this particular case, I stand firm with the governor's office that the right decisions were made for the right time. That was Jackie Turner, Executive Director of the Department of Employment Security, with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, your Mississippi Summer Reading List. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the Lady Auto Mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Plenty of Mississippians find themselves with extra free time this time of year. Accordingly, we've turned to a Mississippi independent bookstore for some summer reading recommendations. Cody Morrison is the book buyer for Square Books in Oxford. Right now, most of his favorite reads are the work of Mississippi authors. That's no surprise given the wealth of writers in the Magnolia State. Topping his list of recommendations is a piece of nonfiction you heard about on Mississippi Edition just a few weeks ago. 
He speaks with our Karen Brown. I wanted to start with when evil lived in Laurel, the White Knights and the murder of Vernon Damer by Curtis Wilkie. It's this incredible ground-level account of the 1966 murder of Vernon Damer in Forest County and the craziest actions of a regular Mississippian Tom Landrum, who infiltrated the Klan to become an FBI informant, which resulted in the conviction and imprisonment of many of those responsible for Damer's murder. Our proprietor, Richard Howard, says this may well be the finest book of the civil rights era. In fact, we just so, talked to Curtis Wilkie a couple of weeks ago, and in his description of the book, it really sounded riveting. Next, I was going to mention another local writer here in Oxford, Ace Atkins, has his uh, 11th installment of the Quinn Colson series. It's titled The Heathens, and I just love this series. I think it's one of the best going today in crime fiction. He has this fictional county, Tibbahaw County, and uh, with each book, he kind of mines that territory a little bit more, and it just gets richer and, and more intricate. And Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review saying that he's right at the top of his game, and I couldn't agree more. Mississippi is so rich in writers, you know, born, living here. Tell us about another one. The next one I wanted to mention was Casey Lehman is just, Casey Lehman, sorry, is one of the best writers going today. I mean, he's just certainly one of the hardest working, and he's everywhere. He's always shouting the truth. If you don't know his work, you have to check him out. I think his memoir, Heavy, should be required reading for all Mississippians. And uh, one of the great benefits of his uh, hard work is that his publisher, Scribner, has re-released his first two books. One was a book of essays, How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in Mississippi. That was earlier this spring. And just this month, they have re-released Long Division, which was his first novel. And Kiese has reworked that a little bit and kind of gotten exactly the way he wanted it. It's available in hardcover and paperback. And it's this amazing story of a 14-year-old boy the way it's designed, it's like a flip book told in two parts, and you can read one part and then flip it over and read the other, or, or read it any way you want. But we're very happy to have that book back in print and done the way he would like to do it, and I encourage everybody to check him out. We also spoke to Chiesi a couple of weeks ago, and he, I had to ask him several times to explain. And, and as you said, you can read it in any way you want. You can read it backwards to forward or forward to backwards, which sounds so odd, but it completely works. We won't try to describe it. Just trust us. What else? I also wanted to mention The Killing Hills by Chris Offit. He teaches here at the University of Mississippi. He's a very lauded novelist, short story writer, memoirist. But this is his first foray into crime fiction. Um, he writes about his native Kentucky. It's a very isolated part of the country, and he's got this character, Mike Harden, who's a combat vet and is now working as an Army CID agent. He's on leave goes back home, he splits up with his wife, and because of his experience as an investigator, he gets brought in by the sheriff to investigate a murder. You can read it in a couple of nights, and it's the first of a series, so we're excited to see where this goes. And then uh, the great blues man, Bobby Rush, has a memoir called I Ain't Studying You, My American Blues Story. This is the first memoir by Bobby Rush. I hope everybody knows who he is. If you don't, go check him out. He's still out there, still performing, just amazing. Recorded over 400 songs. He's in his 80s, yeah. isn't he, and still singing, and just a treasure for Mississippi. He's incredible. Absolutely. But this is his first memoir. It talks about his, his life, his career. Among your staff, do they have favorites? Did any say, this ha definitely has to go at the top of the list, or, or do you have favorites that should be at the top of the list? There's The Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. She's not from Mississippi, but it's the staff pick here for several of us, and 
sometimes you read a novel and, and you're just like, wow, this is going to be one of the best novels I've read. And it came out in May and it's about a female aviator that disappears over the Antarctic in 1918. And there's a sort of a, a twin story of an actress who's kind of fallen from grace in the 2000s. She's playing the aviator, the female aviator who disappeared. That's quite wonderful. World of Wonders by Amy Nezakumatatil, who or Amy Nez as we call her. She teaches here at the university, has this wonderful book that explores nature, and it's been one of our bestsellers all year. It's going to be the University of Mississippi's common read pick for incoming freshmen. The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Adisha Filia. This is a great book of short stories by an upcoming writer from Jacksonville, Florida. It was nominated for the National Book Award. It's a paperback original, and it's just wonderful link stories about the African-American community in the South. So excited about that. Well, I think you have given us a good selection, a lot of variety, and I so appreciate the recommendations of Cody Morrison. Cody is the book buyer for Square Books and then the staff of Square Books weighing in. Thank you so much, Cody. Well, thank you, and thank you for all you do for uh, for, for books and, and uh, independent bookstores. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.